Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in Everything Auburn is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. And if you use our promo code, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So that promo code is Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive a 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, where the game starts. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. Taylor Davis and Jason Campbell here with you today to break down what, let's call a spade a spade, has been a challenging week around Auburn football. The Tigers coming off a really uh, brutal loss to Penn State. There's a lot of adjectives that you could use there. Fill it in as you see fit, but a difficult loss nonetheless and some bigger conversations that inevitably come off of that loss. So Jay and I are, of course, going to break it down for you like we always do. We'll recap the game and then uh, preview the upcoming home matchup, another home game in Jordan-Hare against the Missouri Tigers. So an SEC opponent comes to town, the first of our SEC slate, an SEC East opponent that we don't get to play often. So we'll preview that one, let you know how Mizzou is looking so far this year. But we just got to get into the nitty gritty of this one, Jay, because I think it's not going away is basically the reality of the situation. You know, you you come off a difficult offseason that includes a lot of turmoil and conversation and even drama and you hope that once the play is on the field it silences all of that and unfortunately coming off a 41 to 12 loss at home to a big 10 opponent it fuels the fire a little bit and more conversations arise specifically regarding coach harson and his future at auburn but more than that how this team is prepared by the time season starts how ready they are for when on-field adversity hits we know there's been off-field adversity that's been the case for dang near a year but how they're ready to go on field how they are equipped for these in-game adversity moments and I think that's what you saw more than anything that there wasn't much help for them when struggles came were there issues with execution missed assignments turnovers you betcha and we're going to break down the positions but I think when you see a lack of preparation when you see a lack of adjustment and more more than that you see things get worse as the game goes on there's a bigger issue and it's inevitable that the conversations regarding you know top down and management are going to come off of that and you know you have been around this program a long time you have been around a variety of of coaches and staffs and and changes during your career. So let's just start with that. Kind of speak to what you saw in terms of um, on field preparation and adjustment when clearly what was being done wasn't working. 
Yeah, this was a tough one uh, in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't say the whole game. I'm just going to yeah. say a half. Yeah. Uh, you think about the way that Auburn came out. The atmosphere was really uh, electric. Uh, the energy was in the building. And the team came out ready to play. Mm -hmm. And those first couple of drives, we took the ball down the field and we ended up having to settle for field goals. You mm -hmm. know, if you can convert those to touchdowns, it gives you a different type of energy. Um, then the other part of it is, you're 14 to six and you're getting ready to go into the half and you end up, you get in field goal range and then you had a fumble and then you get the ball back and you start to drive back into field goal range. And then you had a sack fumble. So, and now you go into the half with two back to back turnovers. And once you get into the locker room, there's this thing called zero zero that you have to adjust into your mind and say, guys, it's 14 to six. And regardless of how the half ended, we're still in this ball game and we get the ball back to start the second half. Mm -hmm. So now you get the ball back to come out of halftime. And I think where the error went out the building is when you come out and you go three and out, you receive the ball and you don't even sustain a drive right. and they get the ball back and then they score. Now everything has shifted momentum. Uh, everything has shifted towards Penn state. And to me, for us to come out as flat as we did at halftime was just, it was that can't happen mm -hmm. and in any level at sport like you at home and you got the crowd behind you and the crowd is just waiting on something to erupt off of you got to come out in the second half and say guys we made so many mistakes in the first half and we're only down 14 to 6 mm -hmm. and if we get our heads in the game and we get this thing rolling guys we get our crowd behind us we can go out and win this football game but what showed me in the second half is we came out flat because there was some doubt that creeped in the minds mm -hmm. because when you come out in the second half and you, you don't bring that energy that you, that you know, you need to come out with like the, the biggest parts of the football games are the first quarter and the start of the second half, mm -hmm. because some teams come out energy in the second half. Some teams come out trying to dig them, trying to find themselves back into the game. You don't have time for that. When you're playing a, a, an opponent that you know is that equal then, and you know you have them in your backyard, you want to close them in where they can't get out and get that crowd behind them and just let them just holler and scream and just make the game as hard as possible for them. It has paid off for us in years past. Yeah. Where when our crowd gets behind us, games that people didn't think that Auburn was supposed to win or be in, we was right there for the taking. Mm -hmm. You can go back to the Alabama game last year, how hard it was for them to come in here and beat us in the last regular season game and we should have won that ball game. Right. So it was no different in this ball game. And I was just disappointed in our effort in the second half because I thought our effort wasn't there. I felt like we didn't make the adjustments that we should have made at halftime. You can tell that Penn State made adjustments at halftime oh, because yeah. when you think about it, we were stopping their run pretty much for the first half. Mm -hmm. And their tight end was getting off on us in the first half. And in the second half, we did a better job of containing him. But we gave up the big runs and that just means they adjusted offensively to what we was doing defensively, but we didn't adjust to them. Once we saw them come out with a little bit of a different wrinkle, we didn't adjust and yeah. football is all about adjustments and mindset. And our mindset wasn't in it in the second half, like it should have been. And I was waiting to see a little bit more fight as the game went on, even when we got behind, because you learn a lot more about your football team and about yourself as a person is when things aren't going your way, are you going to stick it in there and continue to fight? Or are you just going to let it just keep rolling and rolling and rolling? And I felt like 
we didn't try to stop the onslaught. Right. And that was the most bothering part of it. Uh, I think as an alumni, as a, as a, as a, you know, a person that covers this team Mm -hmm. is it seemed like we just kind of let go towards the end. No, you got to continue to fight and just say, Hey guys, we didn't show up in the second half. This is not us, but we also didn't stop and quit either. Mm -hmm. And next week, we're going to come back and we're going to hit the road running really hard in practice. And we're going to get this thing turned around come Missouri, our first SEC game. We're going to quickly put this one behind us. But knowing the fact that know, know that there is a lot that need to be learned from this game. And I don't know what the mindset is this week, but, you know, it's going to come out and it's going to show on Saturday. You're right. And I feel like in ways it showed itself this Saturday. And I totally agree with you. It was It was really the second half. I mean, out the gate even, it seemed – the defense was setting the tone. Owen put that lick on Sean Clifford and obviously it was a a rough hit to watch, but it it seemed like there was energy and they were flying around and the tone was being set early that, you know, protect our house mindset kind of thing. And then when you get the reset of halftime, you would think that at least that spark is, is showcased early in the second half, but it wasn't, I mean, down 14, six, and you end up losing 41-12. I, I was actually, I watched the first half. I was in an airport and flew out and obviously 14-6. You're like, well, that's not ideal, but we're in this thing. And by the time I landed and opened the score and saw 41-12, I, I, I thought I was misreading. I, I was like, how did this thing go off the rails so quickly? And it was a combination of Penn State putting it together and us letting it go. You're absolutely right. It feels like nothing was done to to really stop the bleeding at that point. I think that, you know, there's plenty of, I guess, fingers that can be pointed for lack of a, a better phrase here. But let's talk about some position groups in this and, and their individual performance, because when push comes to shove, this is week three of a very long season. And you do have to, you know, let that chapter be its own chapter and move forward. And we do have another opponent. We have a lot of season left, so we can't hang it up and, and, you know, call it a night, but I don't feel like anyone played a game up to par this week and, and beyond the coaches and, and everything that, you know, is swirling around that, The play on the field was not up to standards for Auburn football, and I don't think it was up to standards for the individual talent that's on this team. And I think that a lot of people, you know, want to talk quarterback because it is such a hot topic, and and of course we're going to get to that. But I want to start beyond that, Jay. We were beat at the line of scrimmage. I, I think that both the offensive line and defensive lines did nothing to assist in this. The offensive line gave up six sacks, 11 tackles for loss and four of the team's six offensive penalties were on the offensive line. And I mean, six offensive penalties, you're really shooting yourself in the foot here. I mean, you can't beat two teams on a Saturday. And what I mean by that is you cannot beat your high caliber opponent and yourself. If you are inflicting wounds like this, six offensive penalties against a Penn State team that seems to be clicking into the second half, you're setting yourself up to have to beat two teams. So the offensive line putting whoever was under center under duress consistently, and then the defensive line, no sacks and three tackles for loss, all from Derek Hall and Eculiota. Penn State was able to rush for 245 yards. And we went into this thing saying they really are struggling 
struggling to get things going on the ground and against our defensive front, it shouldn't be an issue. How do they come in and put up 245 yards on the ground? We have no sacks and three tackles for loss. I do want to give credit to Sean Clifford. I think he played a fantastic game. But the same narrative that we said last season, quarterbacks should not come in against this Auburn defense and have the best game of their season. That should not be where quarterbacks go to shine, especially in Jordan Hare. That should not have been the narrative. He completed 74%. But I think if you want to start you know, with the inadequacies of this team, you start at the line of scrimmage and, and I really think it was there on both sides of the ball. Yeah, you're exactly right. The game is won and lost at the line of scrimmage. I, I always tell people that I would like, no matter what position you play offensively, if you can't build a wall up front to, to open holes for a run game or to be able to pass block for the quarterback to get from a first or second progression, I was just like, you're in a, in a world of trouble because you got to be able to man up at front. And I felt like we got beat up front, especially in pass rush. You know, guys were getting walked back into the quarterback. Yep. And you can't have that. You can't let that happen. As a, as a lineman, you got to drop your butt, sink your heels, and get into the into the chest of those defensive linemen because they're down in a three-point stand. So, yes, they're having a get-off, and you're having to react to their get-off. But you got to be able to move your feet and you got to be able to understand where the quarterback is in the pocket. And the quarterback needs to know, you know, what are the offensive linemen set points? And the reason you need to do that is because if it's if it requires a five step drop, then the, the offensive linemen need to know where the quarterback setting up at. So if this guy if I want to run this guy, I need to know if I need to run him upfield so you can step up in the pocket. But if I step up in the pocket, I can't get beat at the center and guard position. Now, if I step up in the pocket now. I got center and guard sitting in my lap because now they have gotten pushed back. So we've got to get more solid up front. Like I tell people, we played Mercer the first game, played San Jose State the second game. Those were build-up games, but we already talked about the gunning of the schedule. If you go back to the podcast shows we did three, four weeks ago, what game we said was pivotal for Auburn? We said the Penn State game because yeah. we said it was going to show us where we're at. I said, I learned nothing against Mercer and San Jose State because we know we're supposed to beat them. You learn a lot against an equal opponent or someone that you feel like y'all are, are scratching the door at the same surface. But now things have gotten exposed. Now it's all about how we're going to respond to these things. Like we understand as an offensive line, I'm pretty sure they're getting chewed out this week by Coach Will Friend. I'm pretty sure yeah. that their attitude is going to be much different come the Missouri game on Saturday. And then from a defensive front, the worst thing can happen for a defense is you see somebody run the ball down your throat. Yeah. And you stopped them in the first half, and you kept it respectable. In the second half, it's like we just let go. And that's that's right there is determination. And does it happen to, to people? Yes, it happens every sometimes. I was just like, but – we're going to find out this week because this is a critical three-game stretch, Penn State, Missouri, and LSU. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out if this team is a bounce-back team or the floodgates going to open up. And, and that's really where we're at. Mm -hmm. And that's just the honest truth because it's so much talk that's going on, so much turmoil that's out in the public. And as a as team and as a player, one thing you can't do is get distracted by all those type of things. And some of the things I didn't like was some of the players retweeting things that um, some media pointed out that was going on with the offense and going on with some of the things and and guys going on there retweeting. You don't need yeah. to do that. Right. Like, 
those things need to stay in the house. You need to have these conversations amongst each other because I guess, because you know what, Taylor? Everybody on that team and sideline, coaches and player can point at each other and say, oh, I could have sure. done a better job yep. or I could have I been better. There's not one person that's exempt from this list nope. that says, oh, I did everything I, I, I could. I did everything I could. Yep. You cannot say that. Totally. And for guys to go on Twitter and retweet that, it questions your leadership right. because it's almost like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can to defend myself. No. When you're in a position of, of high power and whether you like it or not, when you win, you get too much of the credit. And when you lose, sometimes you get too much of the blame. And what you don't need to do is start throwing teammates under the bus. What you mm -hmm. don't need to do is start throwing players under the bus. And we got to find a way to get that cohesiveness because if you're supposed to be as close as you say you are, these things don't happen. Exactly. And you can't allow this to happen. And the players that did this, they need to have a players-only meeting. And you need to stand up in front of your teammates and be a man and say, hey, I shouldn't have done that. I was in the heat of the moment. I'm getting just caught up into it. That means to me, you're listening too much to social media. You're listening too much to what other people are saying. Mm -hmm. And you're not focused on what you need to be doing. I told you, when you play the position that you play in college football and you're asking and everything, and there's NIL, there's all different kind of things now that's going on for these kids. You got to be able to talent all this. And I said the teams that are, that, that are going to be the best are the teams that can channel all of that information and channel everything and not let it start looking and, and guys going against one another. Right. Because it's the NFL in college. And that's what it's becoming. And mm -hmm. you got to be able, as a young man, you got to grow up a lot faster. You got to mature a lot faster. And you got to be able to handle a lot of things now that people didn't have to go through back in the day because they wasn't having NIL. They wasn't having endorsement deals or marketing deals in college. Mm -hmm. You know, so you had to wait to the next level. So now you can't be looking at your teammates comparing yourself to whatever they got going on. You got to focus on what you got to do in the football field. And I just feel like the focus is not there. I, I mean, Jay, you are spitting facts today, my guy. You are making such good points. And I think that that's what it showcases more than anything is a lack of that team unity and also ownership. Like who is really stepping up and taking ownership of this thing? I, and I think that that carries way more weight when you're at rock bottom than when you're at the top. At the top, everyone wants to take credit, right? But who's taking it right now when it feels like things are kind of off the tracks a little bit? And I do think it should be player led because of uh, you know, a little bit of the controversy surrounding the coaching staff. And what I think is even maybe playing into this is, you know, sometimes when you have what feels like a, a bit of a bailout or you have a, an excuse in a way, you almost are not going to even subconsciously, you may not play to your absolute best and, and kind of have that reckless abandonment because you know, if I don't, you know, play up to standards, it is going to reflect on me. It's almost like they know that, you know, the, the outside perception is kind of focused on Harson first. So if you don't play well, you have a bit of a scapegoat. That's almost what it feels like right now. And I think that that 
that shows a lack of maturity. It shows a lack of, of team that that shouldn't be the case. You should care about Auburn. You should care about the brand of football that you're putting on the field, regardless who's in that head coach seat, regardless who's under center at quarterback, the logo on your helmet is what you're playing for. And that should be what you're trying to represent when you're out there, regardless if you feel like people are going to put the blame on someone that's not you and you're going to walk out of there unscathed. You're part of a team. You're part of Auburn. That should be what matters. And it doesn't look like that is at the forefront right now. So that's more what I care about right now. As an Auburn fan, I'm upset that it feels like the brand is being tarnished. It doesn't feel like they are playing up to what so many players have come before them, yourself included, Jason, and put it all out on the field for that logo, not for individual accolades, not for whatever head coach was at the helm and the check that they were going to get at the end of the year. It was for that AU logo. Like, where has that gone? I just... I think that's the bigger issue, and you're right. I think some sort of team meeting or conversation needs to be had where that is reiterated and that is put back into focus because it doesn't feel like that's been at the forefront in a little bit. But we talked about the line of scrimmage, and obviously that was a, an issue, and it, it things feed off that, right? I mean, football is, is kind of a, a game of dominoes falling, and you obviously start there, and from that, maybe – the run game was a conversation point because Tank and, and Jarquez combined for 14 carries. Tank only had 11 touches, and people certainly felt like it more was warranted given the way that the game was going. And I can certainly see where there's a bit of confusion why you're not able to, why you aren't choosing to do that. Because also, when you look at Penn State's schedule up until that point, they were struggling to stop run. And we certainly have a caliber running back room. And then you go to the quarterback and yeah, once again, TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford both saw playing times. Um, they were really comparable in in numbers. Finley was 11 of 19 for 152 yards, 47 sack adjusted yards before being benched in the third quarter. Robbie Ashford was 10 of 19 for 144 yards, 44 sack adjusted yards on the ground, but they combined for three turnovers. TJ Finley threw his fourth interception of the season and lost a fumble. And then Robbie Ashford threw a red zone interception. So it feels like the age old, if you have multiple quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. It, it feels like that's kind of surfacing here. Call it mismanagement, call it lack of development, lack of experience. I don't really know what you chunk it up to, but it it doesn't feel like a solution has been found. And again, with a head coach that is specialized in the quarterback position, development, management, it, it doesn't, it, it's kind of confusing where the issues lie. And of course, a large component of that is the offensive line play. Okay. I'm not going, I, I need to repeat that, I guess, but that is certainly prevalent. But from a management perspective, it has seemed at times when they're pulling guys and subbing has been kind of confusing with how much time they're allotting these guys to find their groove seems confusing. So it, there's a lack of understanding in terms of the approach with these quarterbacks but this week we are going to, I guess, potentially see a different situation because it has been announced that TJ Finley is not going to play this week because of the shoulder injury that clearly was bothering him during the Penn State game. He is not going to go against Mizzou this week, but where you would think, well, Robbie's really going to get a full game to get his feet under him. Reports are saying that he and Zach Calzada are battling, so we may still be in a two-quarterback situation. 
lest we not forget, Holden Garner is still on the sidelines, and we know Harson is high on him and his pass ability. So maybe it's a three-way race this week. I'm not sure. But from this week, Jay, from you know the landscape in general of what we're working with at the quarterback position, give me your thoughts on it, on someone who's played it, how it's being managed, what you're seeing from these guys, and what you think should happen down the stretch. Because it doesn't feel like this formula – is is really working and giving the offense a better chance to win? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I know everybody kind of wants to hear my opinion on this. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to give my honest opinion, though. Okay. You know, like, even if I was sitting in the coach's room, I would say the same thing. Sure. Um, for me, I don't like the rotation of quarterbacks during a series. Agreed. Um, the one reason why playing that position is all about rhythm mm-hmm. and and continuity. And if you are offensive lineman, you also got to know two different quarterbacks. And Robbie comes in the game. He's a different athlete than, than TJ. TJ's in the game. He's a different passer than Robbie. So it's just once you see TJ on Saturday hit a big third down throw, and then after he made the third down throw, he was on the sideline for the next two plays. And then third down came again. He was back in the game. So right then – you had an opportunity for him to build off his momentum of hitting a big third down play. Now continue, let him continue to drive on down the field. And then next series, you say, Hey, Robbie, you got this series and you will go this whole series. And then I rather you do it that way. than yank and then move them in and out during the, during the same series. Like to me, that's just too much. It's too much for the offense. It's too much for the offensive linemen. Uh, for the receivers, and especially for the quarterbacks, because they can't get into the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. And that is so important, being able to be a commander out there and and be into the flow of the game. And you feel like, am I in this play or am I out this play? Like, you just don't know. Like, that's just that's, that's tough to operate. And if I'm in the coaching position, if I'm like, hey, guys, going to the season, we really don't know who our quarterback is. Okay, that's that's okay. You can you can play your guys in the first couple of games, but just give them series. Yeah. Just don't do the alternating during series. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes in because yes, if we just a big third down play or, or third and short and you know that Robert can come in and put a threat to the defense cuz you can run a bunch of the read option stuff and make them have to not focus on Tank or Jaquez, they also have to look at Robbie. Okay, I get that. But why on first and second down? If it's not his series, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to do that, let Robert take all his series, let Calzada take his series. That way, at least you let him get into a flow. You can see how they're going to respond to certain, to, to certain down and distances. Like mm-hmm. it's still so much we don't know, like, cause we haven't seen enough. Like mm-hmm. I don't learn anything from alternating guys. And I just need to see more of just, like, guys playing more of a series. Now, TJ has played more series. Robbie hasn't played more of a series. Most of his came last week when they decided to take TJ out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason TJ got benched was because of the turnovers. Because even at the end of the day, there's so much to be learned. And guys got to understand, Taylor, be critical of yourself. Don't always think you do everything right. Right. And that's how you become a better player. A lot of these guys think they do nothing wrong. And that's including every player on this team. They feel like they do nothing wrong. They're always right. And I don't care who you are on the team. I don't care if your name is the top name on the team or your name is the bottom name on the team. 
everybody is still learning the game of football and you're still learning how to play the game. And last week, the end of the first quarter was coming. We tried to rush and get a playoff before the first quarter. I'm just like, why are we doing that? Yeah. Just take just take the quarter, get to the second quarter, have time to talk about the third down play before you go into the second quarter. But we try to rush and get a playoff. And, and anytime you do that, nothing good comes of it. So we try to rush and get a playoff. And then TJ gets outside the pocket, got pressure on him, and he tried to throw it anyway and gets intercepted. And now you go into the second quarter with Penn State having the ball instead of you having the time to talk about the third down play on the sideline. It's just things like that that we got to get better at. Situational football, it will lose you games and it can help you win games. And that's why that team across the street finds a way to win because they win a lot in situational football. And that's something we got to become better at. But even for TJ, though, you got to know when to say, I got to take a sack here. Like, even yeah. if you feel the pressure and those guys on top of you, you can't have the ball holding out loose, loosely in one hand. They're going to knock it out every time. That's their job is to knock the ball out. So sometimes you just got to say, hey, they got me on this one. And live to get us to the next play. And I think sometimes we're just forcing things. And I don't know from a quarterback perspective, tell us sometimes whether it's Robbie or whether it's TJ, that they feel like they got to make these extraordinary plays just to stay on the field or to prove themselves that, hey, I'm the guy. I don't know what's going through their minds, but sometimes it seems like they're forcing things when they shouldn't. And sometimes I think that's just a, uh, of always going in and out of game and one guy's trying to prove the other guy, you know, I deserve to to be out here on this field or trying to prove to the the fan base, you know, I can make this play and and different things. And it's just kind of gone South. It's gone South. And I think we need to stop the, stop the rotation thing like that and, and find a better solution. Now the question was Calzada. Will Calzada play this week? I have imagined so. And the reason you say that is because how can you not give him an opportunity to play? You know, even if I was talking to Robbie and TJ in their face-to-face, I would say, guys, you have to – he can't just stand there and say, hey, I watched you guys have an opportunity. No one's seen what he can do at Auburn yet. You know, coach has seen him in practice, but, you know, we haven't seen him in the game yet. So I think at this standpoint, you have to allow him – to have an opportunity to get out there and play. And we'll see what happens this weekend. Cause he said, it's still a long season to go, but this is a pivotal, pivotal week. We cannot start this game off flat on Saturday. I mean, we have discussed in looking at the schedule where a pivotal, really insightful games would be. And of course we talked about Penn state and we even talked about LSU. No one talked about Missouri because we did not think that the result, even if, this week had been a loss I don't think anyone expected the kind of loss it's not just the L it's the way in which we lost that now makes this Missouri game a very telling matchup and it's not because of the opponent it's just because of us and so I think that that is going to be um, interesting that a lot more is going to be taken away from this matchup than was expected but I think from the quarterback perspective You're absolutely right. I think that we went from one extreme to the other, and it's one of those be careful what you wish for situations because everyone was very frustrated with the way Gus Malzahn handled quarterbacks, specifically the way he handled Bo Nix. It's very frustrating to see guys like 
Malik Willis, who who then went on and clearly had a lot of success. He actually was the first rookie to play in the NFL this week, playing for the Titans. Not a good result for them, but nonetheless, he did see playing time. But the fact that we had a guy like that in Auburn, and and obviously Joey Gatewood was involved in that. Gus really stayed committed to Bo, even when Bo showed time and time and time and time again that his habits were not going to be broken and that often he was putting us in bad situations Gus will would not break that commitment then we went to the opposite where we are refusing to commit to a quarterback and we are rotating so frequently that we are really handcuffing them from being able to find that rhythm and find that flow and establish themselves as the leader of this offense. You have to find a happy medium. I don't disagree with letting guys have their opportunity in, in a game, in a season. I don't think that you make this one commitment in week one and, and it's unbreakable. I think that there is, especially if you've got guys that have shown you that they deserve a shot. But doing it so frequently and in a series, like you're saying, how do you expect the offense to find rhythm? How do you expect the individual guy to find rhythm? I mean, if I was benched immediately after throwing an interception, my mentality would be so messed up because you are training that if I mess up, I'm done. Like there is no margin for error. And you don't want to create, you know, the expectation that error is okay, but they can't be so terrified to fail that it prevents them from executing and it prevents them from trying. Like, I, I think that we are mismanaging the frequency in which we're subbing and the time allotted to each of these guys to be out there. And Finley's injury is not something that you hope for by any means, but I almost want the hand to be forced a little bit to keep them in there a bit longer. I want them to give Robbie the opportunity to be out there for a while and find his rhythm because you can't send a guy out there, let him take off for a 35 yard run. And then as soon as he throws a pick, pull him, there's just not going to be that cohesion. If you allow that frequency and basically training them that the, su- the second you show a mess up, you're you're out of there. It, you're going to mess up. The nature of football, the nature of the quarterback position, something's going to go wrong. But how you respond, how you handle it after, and giving the guys around you time to gel around you. And let's also not forget the football IQ aspect of the quarterback position. What you're seeing out there from defenses is also a rhythm. You have to start picking up on what you're seeing from that vantage point and implement that into your game. They're not being given an opportunity to do that. As soon as you get out there and start learning what coverage is and what blitzes and and kind of what approach you're getting from the defense and be able to use that mentality into your physical game, you're back on the sideline. Like Mm -hmm. that is, I think an aspect of it that has to be given to these guys before we're, we're doing this juggling situation. So to me, it's more about finding the happy medium because I still don't think we've found the right formula. But anyway, so we've talked about, you know, different position groups, defense, again, really struggled down the stretch. The secondary struggled in one-on-one plays and coverage. They allowed their running backs nine yards per carry in the second half. Really not what this Auburn defense is and has been all about, but it just, it, it really felt like no one could get going. I think Anders Carlson was, I guess your bright spot two for two on field goals. Like 
appreciate you. But I think top to bottom, everyone has to look at this and really go back to the drawing room. I, I didn't see much to take away. Tight ends were kind of a non-factor, which you hate to see. Penn State, once again, just like they did last season, the tight ends are such a key piece of their offense and they are hard to stop. So it just was kind of same song and dance. But one question I had for you, going back to the second half thing, because I actually saw this stat in the last five games against power five opponents, which all of which have been under Harson, Auburn has been outscored 94 to 18 in the second half. Oh. 94 to 18 against power five opponents. So I have a question more logistically, the locker room at halftime. I'm curious from your perspective and even some of your days what is said during those times and beyond that art can can you think of any situations you don't have to say who or where or when it was any situations where a coach said something to you at halftime that really made a difference and was a solid moment of coaching and then conversely can you think of something that a coach has said in a locker room at halftime that had the opposite effect and actually really rubbed people the wrong way yeah that's the thing about halftime halftime is very quick yeah. uh you're in that room maybe 15 20 minutes and most of the time it's 15 and nfl it seems a lot shorter than that so coaches usually come in and try to hurry up and get right to the point um being a coach is coaching young men you definitely have to be a motivator and the speech that you give at halftime can either motivate motivate your team or it can kind of you know downplay it a little bit yeah. and i just feel like when I was playing ball, some of the games I remember when we was down at the half and we came back after the half was when the coaches came in and said, hey, guys, we got to do a better job putting y'all in a situation to be successful, but y'all got to do a better job also of showing a little bit more intensity and fire and coming off the ball and showing some determination. And, you know, these are the first 10 plays we're going to start with in the second half, and these are some plays that we want you to get off the ball, hit somebody right in the, right in the face, and we're going, and we're going at them. And, you know, it's the same way from defensive standpoint, you know, we're going to unleash you guys onto this team. And so it's just things that you have to say sometimes to motivate these young guys, because if you come, I'm not saying Harson did this or anything, but if you come in a halftime or something, and I've been in the locker rooms before where the coach is saying, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do this. And, you know, if you just got to execute because we're putting y'all guys in a situation to do what you're supposed to do, and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, that comes off wrong. And players look at it like, dang, you're going to take some responsibility for that call that you made. It wasn't a good call on third and two or third and four. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, your mindset always need to be focused on moving forward, not what's behind. Because you can't fix what happened in the first half. But mm -hmm. what we can do is say, hey, we got film now. We got eyes that were sitting up top in the booth that was writing down different things. How many times they blitz on this down? How many times they bring pressure on this down? You know, what are they doing on on first down from a defensive standpoint? How many snaps do they give us cover four? How many snaps do they give us cover two? Uh, so you have all this information. So you're basing your play calling when you come to the second half based off what they were showing you in the first half that we can take advantage of. And now you see those opportunities to take those shots. Yeah. And those are called like halftime adjustments. And it's the same thing on the defense. What is the offense doing mostly on first down and second down? What kind of formations are they giving us the most? 
And those are the things that you prepare for more than second half. You can't prepare for everything. You just prepare for what they're doing the most or, or some of the things that they're doing that we weren't able to handle in the first half. How do we get it blocked up in the second half? How do we get the free our edge rushers up in, in the second half? It's just things like that. That's more than just the head coach and the coordinators. It's the other guys that's sitting upstairs in the booth that's writing these things down mm-hmm. that they have to come down off that elevator and they got to hand these coaches, hey, this is this is the report of everything they did in the first half. And then you got to be able to make those adjustments within a 10 to 15 minute span. And the great teams are able to do that and and everything. And let's just be honest, you know, sometimes you just get your butt beat mano a mano. And and for whatever reason, we got to get better in those areas. We got to get better up front. We got to get stronger up front. Uh, but at the same time, though, you are a motivator at halftime and you got to light fire. I'm pretty sure everyone's seen Friday Night Lights. I'm sure everyone has seen what's the movie that Jamie Foxx played in um, any, any given Sunday. So, you know, oh, everyone right. Remember, right. Remember that halftime speech that that was said mm-hmm. when he was playing the championship game. As a coach, you are a motivator to turn kids into greatness and to make them understand if he is a me person, how to get him into a we person. Mm. And, you know, and those are the things that, that we, we got to wow. get right now, because right now it seemed to be a lot of me guys. Yeah. When you see your team fighting and stuff after every play in the second half, like it seemed like we want to get into a fight. Yeah. We got to get that control back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We, we It's guys out there doing their own thing now, not thinking about the team. If we get a 15 yard penalty and all these type of things, when those things start happening, you, th- that becomes, it's about me. And mm-hmm. we need to get back to about we. Dang, Jay, you woke up and chose freaking intelligence today. You are just, <laughs> I am loving this. I, I totally agree with you. And I think this is going to be a really hot take and a tough take, but I thought about this during the game. I literally, I'm wearing a hat right now and I just put it on backwards <laughs> for what I'm about to say because I'm feeling feisty. What I am about to say is challenging for me too, as someone who loves Auburn as much as I do, but I think it's important to kind of change our or maybe just adjust our perception for a little bit right now I think Auburn has a bit of a bad habit of looking at this thing as if we are one tick away from Alabama and Georgia we are not at this given moment this is not a program on the cusp of a national championship and unfortunately the team to our left and the team to our right are on the cusp of a national championship and it's very easy to let your eyes wander to what they're doing and think that we should be right in there we need to be where our feet are and evaluate and analyze accordingly we have got to stop making decisions based on what the tide and the dogs are doing we need to make decisions based on where auburn is what auburn can be and can do right now and in the immediate future we cannot get so consumed with comparison that we are not making appropriate judgments and decisions based on what we really have going for us right now. I think that we have allowed our perception to be so fixated on our competition rather than ourselves. And I think that that even showed itself in the coaching hire. I think the way the coaching change happened was difficult and challenging because we were allowing too much of our focus to be on what people around us are doing. And it backfired. Lest we not forget, 
some coaches turned us down because of the way Auburn was doing things and the nature of the job being y'all want to be Alabama tomorrow. Y'all want to be Georgia tomorrow. And it's not going to happen that way. It is a process. It is going to take time. Can it happen quickly with the right pieces in place? Absolutely. But we've got to quit thinking that we are right there on their heels because where we are right now, there is still some ground to cover. And I think we are actually hindering ourselves and not able to analyze accurately and be happy for small wins because we're comparing ourselves to teams that are national championship caliber teams. We're not there yet. And I think if we have an appropriate perception on this thing, better decisions are made as a result. And I am talking about what has happened and what seems to be imminent to happening shortly. I am not saying my opinion on what I think should happen or if I disagree with decisions that have been made in the past. That is not for today. <laughs> it is not for me to discuss right now. But I think we have a perception issue at, at Auburn. And I don't think that it is warranted given the state of our program right now. I think we will be better equipped to progress as a program if we focus at ourselves and what we are doing and what is best for Auburn and stop looking at how we can match Saban and Kirby Smart. That needs to stop. Yeah, that's that's you know that's the thing. Comparisons always get you in trouble. Yes, and it doesn't matter if it's in sports or if it's in life. Uh, you know, you can always look at someone else and say, "Oh, this is happening for them. Why is it not happening for us?" Like this is you know, you can always go down the line and it can mess up your mood and it can make up, it can mess up how you do things. And I do think Auburn is a very, very special place. Yes. Like it is one of the probably top 10 places in college football to coach college football. And when you start an atmosphere on Saturday against Penn state as a recruit, like you got to love it. You know, I've, I've heard some stories come out that, you know, a lot of guys, yes, we lost some guys that, that left, but some of the other guys that said, Hey, you know, this is football. Sometimes you're going to lose some, sometimes you're going to win some, but this atmosphere, this is where I want to play college football in. I like those guys because those guys sound like the guys that we came in my class in, uh, in 2000 and 2000 Auburn didn't have a winning season in 1999. Mm -hmm. And we came on our recruiting visits and the way that Auburn lost to Alabama in the iron bowl, they lost at home and the way the fans were still showing support, and the way that the atmosphere was still just electric and us as a group got together and said, Hey guys, man, y'all feel this? Like we could come in here and we can make a difference in Auburn. Like we could be that group to come in and do that. And that's how recruits need to look at this thing that's coming in and saying, stop looking at where the program is now. Look at where you can take the program. If we was to, if you, like I said, there's all these other schools and everything that win national championships and every decade it changes. You know, everyone has their times uh, when they're, when they're greatness and they're great for 10 years and then somebody else end up coming to float. So Auburn, we could actually be that team. You know, we, we have been there before mm -hmm. and we just got to consistently be there. And the thing is we got to stop. Like you say, don't compare, yeah. but find out, let's get Auburn guys. I don't care if a guy's going to Georgia, Alabama, or LSU. If he's not an Auburn guy, we know what Auburn guys look like. Yeah. If he's not an Auburn guy and he's a guy that you got to spoon feed all the time to get him to get ready to play, 
no, we don't need you. Yep. Like if you're someone that's about hard work, putting your head down, showing determination and want to be a difference maker, but about we instead of me. Exactly. Yeah, we want you like come be a difference maker. And that's what we got to have. We got to have difference makers. We got to have team guys, great guys on the field and off the field. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's why unity is so close. A lot of guys that I played with in college, we're still very close because it wasn't me guys. It was we guys. And that's where this team got to get back to, even in the recruiting process. Get team guys that love to play football, but also love their teammates. Yeah. And 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 when it comes to, like I said, just everything else, let's control what Auburn can control. Mm-hmm. Like you said, let's not compare uh, to what other people are doing because that can mess you up in any aspect of life. And it's not just football. So that's just a mindset thing. Let's get back to the mindset. We have everything we need at Auburn to be successful. Mm-hmm. If we just focus on Auburn. And changes come, changes happen. That's part of the process. It doesn't mean you're still not Auburn. And let's just be honest. Right now, everyone's saying, oh, is Harson going to be fired this week? Is he going to be fired in three weeks? Is he going to be fired at the end of the season? Let's stop saying those things. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just focus on this week, what we need to do this week to win a game, what we need to do this week to get better. If changes happen, then they happen when they happen. You can't control it. We can't control it. Nobody can control it. And if changes need to happen, guess what? They're going to happen. Yeah. You know, and if they don't need to happen, then they won't happen. But that's the thing. Everything gets pushed out more and more when the story seems to be a negative story. Yeah. And when it's a negative story, it's just like a disease. It just keeps growing and keeps growing. And everybody wants to have input on it because now it just seems like everyone likes to feed on negativity. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing that's happening right now. Like we heard it all off season and then we hear things getting better, but we say it on this podcast, the pivotal game for Auburn win or lose was how they perform against Penn state. Mm -hmm. And the reason we said it was because we knew what would happen if we showed up and what happened in the second half happened. Yeah. Now the floodgates are back open. If you lose that game and you, it was a hard fought competitive game and you just lost it. Nobody is going to be having this floodgate decision. Sometimes it's about how things look and how things appear that makes the narrative the topic. Right. So if you want to change the narrative and you want to change the topic, don't let things look like they look in the second half. Oh, yeah. No kidding. And again, the perception issue of it, I think, is also tied to immediacy. If you are fixated on immediate satisfaction you are setting yourself up to be disappointed and i think that that's part of the issue in the overall scheme um and and i think that that is important from a fan perspective from a media perspective but you know for the players it's about the product they put on the field and i mean they're gonna have to put a much improved product on the field this week not because Mizzou is such a, you know, capable opponent. They're fine, but we should very, very easily handle this one. But it's really not about the opponent this week. It's about Auburn. Uh, You have Mm -hmm. to 
rewrite what was done this past weekend and what was shown. You have to present an improved United front. You have to showcase that this program does get high caliber athletes and we do know how to put together a winning football team. But all of that was negated this past weekend. So you have to work extra hard to flip that script. So They'll get the chance to do it against a Mizzou team who is also two and one. Actually, very interesting, uh, weirdly similar stories so far this this season yeah, in terms shocking. of That's shocking result season they're having. Yeah, so they're two and one like us, having beaten two lesser than opponents, and their loss coming at the hands of Kansas State. Listen to the final score: forty to twelve. Our defeat was 41 to 12. Okay. So, so they lost to Kansas State 40 to 12. Yes. They Tulane lost to, yeah. Them. And then K State turns around and, and loses to Tulane. Very confusing, but um, weirdly similar in terms of how they've won and how they've lost. It's a very similar thing. Once again, you would expect the home field advantage to come into play here. Uh, it is an 11 a.m. kick. So people get up early. It will be 11 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. But uh, Missouri obviously facing a running team in K-State. They tallied 235 yards on the ground against Missouri. So it sets you up for a big game for the running backs, even for Robbie Ashford to kind of get things going on the ground. Hopeful that we will get to see that. And like we said, TJ Finley out with a shoulder injury. So you expect to see Robbie Ashford, but it is being said that Robbie and Zach Calzada are set to compete for the start this week, but I do think we will probably see him. Mizzou's quarterback, Brady Cook, is actually the team's leading rusher with 159 yards. So what Sean Clifford was able to do with us and kind of maneuver, get out of the pocket, extend plays, Brady Cook is certainly a guy who's capable of doing that as well, really more of a dual threat guy. So I think that there's a little bit there to, to you know, scout in terms of Missouri. But like I said, this is more about Auburn. I think that, this week's game, the opponent is Auburn from last week, not Missouri. I mean, yes, they're out there, but I think what you're competing for mentally has to be to be better than what you were last week, to put a different Auburn team on the field than you did last week. If that's the focus and if that is executed, you'll come away with a win. I, I think when you look at both of these teams, Auburn has the advantage and certainly when you put it in Jordan-Hare. But you have to beat who you were last week. It has to be clean execution. These penalties, these turnovers, they have got to stop. It has to be more of a, a team unit. And I think it's got to be a more intriguing and skill set showcasing offense. I, I think that you have to play to your strengths. You have to play to the strengths of the guys that are on the field. And this defense has to get back to the hard-nosed Auburn defense that we're used to seeing. If you do all of that and you put a better you know, face on the field than you did last week. I think you come away with a win in week four. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say this, and then I let you. Uh, the thing is, to me, is like you said, anytime there's turnovers, false starts, you know, jumping off sides, we gotta get back to being disciplined, mm -hmm. and we gotta get it back to playing into the parameters of what we are trying to do to win football games. And defensively, what we need to work on the most. We need to get back to stopping the run and we got to learn. We got to find a way to create turnovers. Like we haven't created enough turnovers uh, for us well, to be a call to great defense. Great defenses get turnovers. And however that comes, however that looks like, 
we got to find a way to get our hands on some balls and start getting turnovers. Um, as a program, we need to find a way to get back to respect. I totally agree. I think that top to bottom, this was a poor showcase for Auburn and for what Auburn is all about, but they have the opportunity to correct it and they have the chance to rewrite the story and they will do that this week at home against an SEC opponent. And, you know, I think whether or not change is implemented during this season is going to work itself out. How imminently, you know, that's the question I've been asked if they're going to do it when, and I, I don't have that answer and nor do I think I should. Do I think that a loss against Missouri could speed the process? Yes, I do. Do I think a really impressive showing against Missouri will completely change the perception after the Penn State loss? I don't, honestly. I, th- I think that it will carry that much weight and one corrected win will not re-affect the perception of of his fit at Auburn I think long-term success would I think if they pull off a win against Missouri pull off against LSU go on the road have some momentum some traction and and you really see results then it changes I don't think that Missouri has the power to you know completely overlook the Penn State game I think a loss definitely speeds up the process so whether or not those involved are hoping that that happens. You know, obviously there are also other jobs now open and whether that comes into play, I'm not sure. All I care about is what's good for Auburn. And I have to hope and believe that what's good for Auburn is going to happen. And that comes without any of the talk and the slander and the drama that is out in the public right now. Conversations are, of course, going to be had for people like myself. It is my job to discuss it. But the slander and the character assassination and the insults, none of that affects what's going to happen. What happens on the field is going to affect what happens. So let's sit back and watch that. And I'm hopeful that these guys can turn it around. So I think that that puts a bow on it and sets us up for a matchup against Mizzou. Again, 11 a.m. Central kickoff. It will be on ESPN, so if you can't be in attendance like my man Jay, then uh, you can catch it on ESPN. So best of luck, everyone. We've got still a long season, a lot of football ahead, and there is certainly opportunity and talent and players on this team to turn this thing around. So Let's uh, stick with them. They definitely deserve it. And we will be back next week to break down all the action. Also, one more thing that I'm going to mention, not that I care to talk about it, but the 2023 schedule also was released last night. It was aired on SEC SEC Network. They did a studio show announcing all the SEC schedules for next year. So if you're so inclined and are curious what the Tiger schedule will look like next year, that is officially out. The Auburn football social media put it out. If you haven't seen it, you can go look at it. I'm not breaking that down. It's far too early. But nonetheless, that's going to do it here on Believe in Everything Auburn. Thank you guys so much for listening and following along in the good and the bad. Auburn family is what it is for a reason, so let's not forget that. But Jay and I will be back next week, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't already, and you'll get a notification when that episode goes live. Thanks for the support. We'll talk to you all next week. War Eagle. War Eagle. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.